This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome into the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. He will be back on Monday. I bet he misses doing the show when stuff like last night happened. There was so much going on last night. And of course, it all circles. I want to say the Sharks were circling, and they have been. Um, but they've won two in a row. And at the hands of the Edmonton Oilers, who now find themselves with the same amount of points as those lowly San Jose Sharks. 3-2 the final. Uh, rock this. If this isn't rock bottom, I don't know what is for the Edmonton Oilers at this point. Uh, later in the show, we're going to hear from Jay Woodcroft and his comments post game about, you know, his job security and all that and why he's not worried. Um, but for the game specifically, it doesn't really feel like it was for a lack of trying. The Oilers outshoot San Jose 41 to 18. San Jose also blocked a team record. And thanks to Joey Kenward for sending me this stat. Um, 35 block shots, which is a San Jose team record. Can't blame Stuart Skinner for any of the goals, but this Oilers team just looks off. Connor McDavid has struggled at even strength. We It's very well documented that he's not 100% right now, but there is something going on in the water in Edmonton. And, and Leon Dreisaitl was not happy. As I mean, he shouldn't be happy after that result last night. They get the Kraken tomorrow night and... Ken Holland's got to be working the phones here, right? Like, like he's got to be calling everybody to try and figure something out. Because at this point, what else can you say? They're not scoring goals. Generally speaking, they're not keeping them out of their net. And I don't think that Jay Woodcroft just became a bad coach overnight. He's owed a trade. He's not owed a demotion of Jack Campbell to Bakersfield. And Jack Campbell allows four goals on 20 shots last night in Bakersfield uh, as he made a return to the AHL. And maybe it's a big trade. I don't know. I don't think something minor is going to make a difference here. I I think a lot of people, much like myself, are kind of at a loss for words here because this is by far the most shocking storyline in the league right now. There were people and plenty of them that picked the Edmonton Oilers to win the Stanley Cup. How's being tied for 32nd in points sound after 12 games? Doesn't sound great. A um, couple of other things before we get to, uh, and well, I guess we'll give out the the guest list for today, Liam McHugh, uh, NHL on TNT host, will join me in just a couple of minutes. Elliot Friedman is at the Calgary Skate today, so he will join me at, uh, at the top of the next hour. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford after Liam from The Athletic. We'll talk about the St. Louis Blues. And then uh, David Sis, producer, going to get some TV time. He's going to come in and do the uh, weekend review at the end of the show. Good luck. Put you on the seat. Grill you a little bit. We'll be fine. Uh, but other stories last night, Connor Bedard, four points. And I know he's going to get a lot of credit for what he did in scoring two goals and adding two assists. But for me, and I tweeted this out yesterday, the play on the second goal where he's, he, I, I can't even describe it well enough to give it justice. He's going after the puck with Nikita Kucherov in the neutral zone. And he kind of leans in, turns his blade over and makes like a behind the back pass with one hand to Nick Felino oncoming, turns around, gets the puck back and ends up scoring. I don't even know where you think about making that kind of a play. I know he's next level and I know, Oh, he might be smarter than you. Yeah. Okay. I get it. I understand, but I've never seen that before. And, we, and we've seen a lot in hockey. I've never seen that play before. Not once. He was really impressive last night. He's on pace for 48 goals 
as an 18 year old. Uh, and then another thing that I, I really want to get to here because it was a really nice moment in the Colorado Seattle game at ball arena. Uh, they unveil the Peter McNabb broadcast booth and, and the hockey world lost Peter almost a year ago, just over a year ago uh, after his battle with cancer. And this was a, a nice touch by the avalanche organization where Peter was an av- uh, an avalanche analyst uh, from their inaugural season. And for my money, one of the nicest people that I've ever had to deal with in this business. So uh, a shout out to the avalanche, the organization for, for doing that. And, uh, and um, a big congratulations posthumously to Peter McNabb and, uh, and a congratulations to his family. Uh, the hockey world dearly misses Peter McNabb. Okay. Uh, on to other things. Liam McHugh, from the NHL on TNT joins me now. Liam, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And I just called what you, what you said there about uh, Peter McDab. And that, you know, I just wanted to add on quickly. It's a, a lovely touch uh, that Colorado is doing and, and, you know, so well-deserved. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really get to interact with Peter that much, but I, I got to meet him, you know, uh, a few years ago. And you nailed it. He was just the nicest human being he had time for you uh and we we chatted and it it was so calm and comfortable it was as if we'd known each other for such a long time uh and that's one of those interactions that i think about quite a bit in this business because this can be a rough business uh it can be the type of business where there are a ton of friendly faces or there are friendly faces to your face and then maybe not so friendly behind your back uh but peter Peter was really uh, just a genuinely genuinely kind and good human being here here that, very well said, Liam, uh, and and I know that uh, I know that that sentiment has been voiced across hockey. And again, it's been a year since we lost Peter, and for the uh, for the Avs to do that was uh, was a very nice touch yesterday. Um, so on to on to the on ice stuff, and you know, the Edmonton Oilers last night they lose three two to the San Jose Sharks. It's rock bottom. It can't get any worse. And and I know there's been a lot of focus on the goaltending and for good reason. It hasn't been very good. I understand that, but this is also a team that has been a juggernaut offensively, specifically two guys, but you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins had a hundred points last year and Zach Hyman had a great year and you know, they added Connor Brown and, and everything should have been great, but they're they're averaging the sixth fewest goals per game in this league. Doesn't feel like there's a quick fix here. And, and I don't think canning the coach is the option either. Like, where do you go from here if you're the Edmonton Oilers? I know there's only way and it's up, but it's really bleak right now. You know, it's an interesting point you raised there because there's not a lot of attention uh, and not a lot of talk so much about where's the offense. Because I think there is this feeling that like, oh, well, you know, at some point, McDavid and Dreisaitl will uh, produce some magic and there'll be a two-week stretch where they just absolutely tear apart the league and they can outscore their problems and they'll win a bunch of games in a row. Um, and that may happen. I mean, in, in fact, history would suggest that that probably will happen at some point during the season and then it'll be just how long they'll be able to carry that on for. Uh, but you mentioned some other players there, uh, specifically Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Can he produce, can he, you know, uh, recreate what he did last year? I think that is a question mark. Uh, but right now they are not outscoring their problems. And, you know, the big issue is this, which is correctable, which is correctable more quickly. Is it the defense or is it the goaltending situation? Uh, I, I don't, I would think you could be able, and from talking to analysts, there seems to be a, just a, a lack of commitment and a lack of just desire and grit and edge that they see is possible for this defense to get to, that you should be able to tighten it up at least a little bit. The problem is the goaltending. Like, if you have a goaltending issue and you're at least close to the trade deadline and teams are starting to quit and teams are starting to look to next year, you're in a good situation right now. Like, I look at Jordan Bington, like, he would be a phenomenal option in my eyes just because he's got that attitude and he knows how to win. But the Blues are winning some games here. Like, and you know, he makes a pretty decent amount of money. It is November. It is before American Thanksgiving and you're looking for a goalie. You're in a rough spot right now. Like they're, they're just not going to be a lot out there. And the ones that are going to be out there are going to be similar to what you have, which is essentially you're getting a backup and you're hoping he's a starter. Yeah. And, and I guess that's kind of what they're hoping Calvin Pickard would be after calling him up from Bakersfield. It was a rough night for uh, Jack Campbell in Bakersfield last night, four goals, on 20 shots and and you know I'm I'm watching the game and early on it was kind of messy and then as the game progressed you could see Edmonton you know kind of take over 
41 shots, 35 block shots by the Sharks. It felt literally like they were throwing everything in the kitchen sink and nothing was working. There's there's also got to be an element of this team is in their own head at this point, doesn't there? Oh, definitely. I, I was thinking about that as well because if this was a regular season or like, you know, you're into December and you're third in your division or you're in a wild card spot, maybe not playing your best, and you have a night like that, you sit there and you're like, oh, God, you know what? Look at the numbers. Like, we dominated this game. Who cares? Let's move on. The problem now is, and you've heard it from the players, too, where they're like, oh, my God, we dominated the first 15 minutes of this game. We get into the locker room at the first intermission. We're tied or we're down. And the fact that they're admitting that they're thinking about that tells me they're hitting the ice in the second period going, man, is it going to get worse? Because it feels like it's going to get worse no matter what we do. And if you go into a game like that, that's or a period like that, and it's this early in the season, that can snowball. Uh, and I know these are crazy competitive guys. McDavid is let's say he's legendary with his competitiveness, and, and Drysaddle as well. But like, there's no way it can't just weigh on you. And I think guys start looking around at each other and wondering, is this my fault? Is this someone else's fault? Why isn't someone else picking this up? But to me, you're going into games expecting the worst. And now the crazy thing is you're going into individual periods going, that went kind of exactly how we thought. Oh, God, here we go again. I know what's coming. Yeah, that's that's quite the feeling that you have going into a game going, well, this might not go so well. Uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, something that is going very well, Connor Bedard's start to his career is pretty, pretty darn impressive. Four points last night, and I was making the point earlier, like, the play on the second goal where he turns his blade over and makes like a behind the back pass with one hand with a checker on him and Kucherov. And like, he's doing things that I never could imagine someone would do in a game. And yet here we are, he's on pace for 48 goals as an 18 year old and no disrespect to any of the other, the other Hawks players, but it's not a great supporting cast. Doesn't that make what he's doing even more impressive and make you wonder like what the ceiling is here for Connor Bedard, if he's going to score 48 with the team that he's playing on right now. 100%. And one thing I love about Bedard and I actually love about the Hawk situation for at least this year is they do have these vets on the team, you know, like Felino, like Corey Perry. And after the first couple of games, we're like, yeah, he was getting some shots off and there were some moments here and there. We were like, Oh, this guy's got some, you know, he's got something and you know, let's see where this goes. Uh, he didn't have a bunch of goals, but he had a bunch of shots. And Corey Perry was asked after the game about his, you know, what he thought of Bedard. And he's like, oh, he's getting short shots, and we want him to keep taking them. This wasn't some veteran who was like, all right, man, you're not scoring. Stop shooting so much. This was like, oh, no, this is where this team is going. Like, let him shoot the puck as much as possible because he's got something that none of us have. And you were talking about, like, the play last night where it looks like I've never seen that or there's very few players who can make a play like that. I go back and I look at players over the years, and there's – you know, there's a handful of players that, that do this on a consistent basis, um, and they're superstars, and it's McDavid, and, and, and it's McKinnon, and it's McCarr. Um, but then there are players along the way. Like, I remember Duchesne when he was young. Uh, you know, I, I, I live on Long Island, and I remember Matt Barzell doing things where they make plays, and you're like, whoa, like, there's only a few player, players on the planet who can do that. However, how often are they backing that up? How often are they turning that into numbers throughout the whole season where on nights where they're not doing something that catches your eye, they're still getting on the score sheet and still doing things to help their team win. And I think that's where Bedard is. You know, I think he's that type of player where it's not like once, you know, once a month you see something, you're like, Oh, I wish I could see that all the time. He's basically either giving you that all the time or giving you production when he's not turning your head with something insane. And that I think is what's going to make him special going forward. The other thing is too, is, you know, and I don't want to, it's, it's, it would be hyperbolic to me of me to say, you know, Connor Bedard wouldn't have been able to play 10 years ago, blah, blah, blah. But you know, he's a smaller player. He's still, he's absolutely ripped. So he's, it's not really a concern about strength or anything. And he is going to, you know, kind of grow into his body type thing. Cause he is only 18 years old, but that's the other part that's super impressive about this is he's not the biggest guy in the world. Like when you see a lot of younger players come in, generally speaking, it's, maybe a little bit easier of an adjustment for a bigger guy just because they are bigger than everybody else. But for, for Connor Bedard, he's not. And he's going into places. And, and even on his first goal yesterday, he goes into the forecheck on Victor Hedman. He doesn't necessarily win the puck, but then he goes right to the front of the net and he outmuscles Victor Hedman 
in front. Like Victor Hedman is a mammoth of a human being and strong <laughs> as hell. And yet there's Connor Bedard standing in front, tips the puck in, and Victor Hedman's like, I don't even know what else I could have done here. That's what I think is so impressive about Connor Bedard. It's really cool, right? Because I'm with you. I mean, 15 years ago, he, he may not be a first-round pick. I mean, I guess I think there's just these measurables that were back then where it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't think I could take a guy that small at this point. Uh, his And it's funny, you talk about, like, he, he's 18. He looks like he's 12. I mean, we were doing a broadcast a couple of weeks ago, had him on, and it was uh, baseball playoffs. So we had the baseball group in, and Pedro Martinez was watching both games. And he looks over at me, and he's seen Bedard being interviewed, and he says, is this kid 12? He's like, this, this is like the youngest. He, he was so thin. And I said, yeah, but his legs are jacked. And there's a little bit, um, which is interesting because like he doesn't skate like McDavid either. So it's not like he's small and he, he skates well, but he doesn't skate like McDavid where he's just, you know, outpacing everyone, scooting by everyone. There's a little bit of Crosby there though, right? Where it's the legs, it's the core strength. And it's, I may not look that big, but I'm strong and I'm solid and I'm going to go to these places. And he's got an attitude, you know, like it doesn't come across when you interview him. I think he's such a nice and polite kid, but I think there's a little bit of, I'm going to go to this area. I don't care who you are and I'm going to get this done. Uh, and I love, I mean, how many kids would even be audacious enough at this age to go in there against Victor Hedman? I mean, I think I see a lot of guys making business decisions when Victor Hedman's involved. Uh, but Bedard, He's a different cat. He's a different breed. And, uh, I mean, the fact that this is him at 18 and he's going to probably put on more muscle um, as he goes further, it, it's going to be a sight to behold. It's funny that you mentioned Pedro Martinez. There. They, yes, Connor Bedard doesn't always look like the uh, average little leaguer um, that we've seen. Some of them, uh, specifically Danny Almonte, uh, that was actually 14 when he played in the Little League World Series. But, hey, uh, we won't go there. Uh, Liam McHugh from NHL on TNT joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, so I have to ask you this question. Um, your time working with Rick Tockett, did he ever call you out for a poor performance uh, even after you thought it was really good and maybe you got a win? Uh, how great is it seeing this success from a former colleague, but a guy that, you know, is really well liked in hockey circles as well. It, it, it's funny. Uh, I, I would say at first I was kind of mixed because uh, I didn't want him to leave our show. So there's always that in the back of your mind. It's like, Hey man, if this doesn't work out with the coaching, you just come right back over here. We had a nice thing going. Uh, but I think we all knew he had a real chance to be successful and it's the way he communicates. Um, he's really honest. He's really open. Uh, he's, in his own way, you know, demanding of a certain standard. And I'll give you a good example of things are going well, but he's concerned. And that is, we did a first year of television. We were all sort of new pieces to this. There were lots of people who were not involved in TV before, like talk. There were people behind the scenes who had never done hockey before. And it was like, all right, we don't know what to expect. And I think the reviews were pretty positive and people were really happy. And we felt like we had great chemistry. And so, it's the summer now and we should be feeling pretty good about this. And we're going into year two and I get a phone call from Todd and he's genuinely concerned. What are we going to do next? Because he goes, I'm tired of reading that people like the show. I want to know how we're going to be better this year. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's set the, let's start having some conversations. And it was a cool thing to hear. Uh, you know, I'm sure a bunch of buddies and friends and family were patting him on the back and saying, hey, this TV thing is going well. What a great show. And in a way, that makes Top nervous. Because <laughs> it's like, that's great. I like success. I like hearing that. But I want to keep this. I need to sustain this. And we're going to have to work at it. And we're going to have to do some things different and clean some things up along the way. And But he did it in a way that felt very conversational. And he wants your input. He wants to know what people think. And then he wants to take that all in you know, kind of mix it up a bit and figure out the best way to use it. Uh, he's he's going to be successful there. I don't know if they're going to be this successful the whole season, but he's going to be successful there. Um, and, and I loved that he called guys out early on in the season because even though they were winning, he's, he could probably feel that in Vancouver they were playing on the parade and he wanted everybody to just pump the brakes a little bit. You know, it's really funny that you say that because nobody was having that conversation about the Canucks before he got there, which was like, oh, what, you know, Hey, everything's great. Oh, you're everything. Everything's so happy here in Vancouver. No, that was definitely not the case. Um, but it's funny because now everybody is happy in Vancouver. And when you're getting performances like you're getting from Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen and, and JT Miller's been great. Brock Besser continues to find the net. Like 
what what do you think the ceiling is here for the Canucks? Because a lot of a lot was made of you know yes they could score some goals, but you know Thatcher Demko wasn't great last year, and there was a you know there was an a, an injury issue that that also plagued him, and the defense wasn't good enough, and it does feel like they're kind of past that right now, and they're getting really good goaltending from even Casey DeSmith, uh, former Penguins netminder. Um, what do you think the ceiling is here? Like, do you look at the Vancouver Canucks right now, putting your putting your friend hat aside for Rick Tockett, mm-hmm. do you think that this is a Stanley Cup contender? It's, it's tough to say that, but I, I think this is a team. I, I think it's a playoff team. I think it's a team that uh, should win a round and has the potential to scare anyone after that. Uh, I really believe that just because uh, there's enough offense there and I think Demko's, when healthy, like a lot of people, I think he's the real deal. And I've been surprised. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I was not like the biggest Casey DeSmith fan. Uh, he's done really well there. Tuck, I think the cool thing about this is that Tuck is also going to have them ready to play playoff hockey. And that means you have to be able to win ugly. And I love hearing what I'm hearing from this team, which is a lot of, all right, we brought our B game to get, and we still were able to win. I mean, can you imagine that sentence you know, being uttered? Yeah. Like a year or two ago in Vancouver, like if you know, they would bring their A minus game a lot of times and not win games. So uh, there's a commitment, there's a buy in. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's a it's almost too massive a jump for me to consider that. And I think, you know, I just think Vegas is so darn good right now that uh, it's hard for me to get past the idea that someone's going to knock them out along the way. But if if Demko is healthy and that offense is clicking, they're a threat to anyone in the West, but I do, I see playoffs and I see the potential into the second round of the playoffs. I'm glad you mentioned Vegas there because they, like you said, they look like the, not only the class of the Western conference, they look like the class of the league right now. Like they are, they're just so good. And, and very rarely do we see a team, um, they double dip and, you know, we did see it with Tampa. Sure. And we can say what we want about the bubble. And that was a different thing, but it, it is very difficult to repeat as champions, who outside of, of Vegas do you look at and say, like, that's a team that could really, really push the Vegas Golden Knights? The team that I kind of look at as one of them, and I know they lost last night in overtime. Actually, they got scored on twice in overtime last night. I uh, was the LA Kings, and they're off to a roaring start right now. They're really deep down the middle. Quentin Byfield is having an exceptional year, especially lately. He's been really good. Um, is is that the team for you that that kind of you think would give Ve- uh, Vegas the biggest worry, or is there another team maybe that we're not talking about that you look and go, that's a that's a really good squad that could challenge? I would put two teams in there for you know two different reasons, and the first is LA. Uh, watched them play the other night against Vegas. Uh, I, I wasn't convinced about LA. I mean, I know uh, Biz and a couple other guys on the panel were really high on LA. I, I was more concerned about their goaltending situation, but. We had Henrik Lundqvist in the other night, knows Cam Talbot really well, really studied his game, watched the way he was playing, and, and he feels really comfortable with Cam Talbot in that system in L.A. and them being able to have success. So I'm going to listen to Henrik Lundqvist there. The byfield thing is massive. I mean, this kid is making a leap this season. It also helps that they're so strong down the center that they can play byfield on the wing. They can make him learn the game a little bit, but... I got to tell you, when Byfield completely fills into that frame, he is going to be a nightmare for teams to deal with. And the cool thing is, he gets to learn under Kopitar, you know, sort of how to play that nasty two-way game and be responsible, but also be a threat offensively. So, I, yeah, I'm with you on uh, on LA. And then the other team is, I, I still believe in Dallas uh, as a, as a real contender, uh, and I think there's some chemistry that's got to come along. Uh, throughout the season uh, with a few new pieces. Uh, but uh, And listen, it's a mix of old and young, and it's a team that is still hoping that a few of those older players can you know, do what they did last year in terms of putting up points. But uh, when push comes to shove and we're in the playoffs and if Jake Ottinger's healthy, uh, I think there are times I watch Jake Ottinger and there's not a single goalie in the world I would rather have on the ice. Uh, and we all remember the playoffs a couple of years ago he, when he was standing on his head. He is big and athletic. And when he's confident and healthy, I, I, I like him a lot. And you get a hot Jake Ottinger in the playoffs, and all of a sudden they could be uh, an issue for a team like Vegas. So I still have Vegas above all of those teams, 
But I think those are the two teams that I would look at right now. It's funny that you you mentioned those teams and not one of them was an Eastern Conference team. And the Eastern Conference has been because, yeah. you, know, you know, Boston's 11-1-1, one, and one, but it's a it's a weird 11-1-1 one, and one for me. I know they've been dominant. They've got a plus 19 goal differential and they are they've really kind of picked up where they left off last year, even, you know, not having Charlie McAvoy over the last little bit with the suspension. Boston's a really interesting team for me because I still I'm still waiting for them to turn into a pumpkin. I just don't know how much longer I can wait for that to happen because Jim Montgomery's got this team going. They're goaltending tandem. Like pick which one you want to put in net on any given night because they're going to be great. It's going to be all Mark. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Oh, Swayman. Oh, yeah, that kind of sucks for us too. Um, but other than like I, I the offense, I didn't think was going to be very good. It's it's been good enough. Uh, and defensively with McAvoy and Lindholm and uh, go down the list of, of that group, uh, Brandon Carlo, like it's a, it's a really good team. And, you know, for my money, it's weird to say, but they might be the class of the Eastern conference again. And I really wasn't expecting that after losing their top two centers. Nobody was expecting that. Right. And I mean, you lose a hall of famer, the best defensive forward in probably the history of the entire game. And then Krejci, you lose a center who, I mean, playoff-wise, like, he, he was a monster. Uh, you know, he was a better playoff player than he was a regular season player. Um, and doing that in a market where there's a lot of pressure. So you lose both those guys, and you're moving up centers, essentially, right? And one of whom played a lot of wing. But you're moving them up, and you're like, all right, more responsibility in a big market where people are demanding things. How are you going to fare? And they've both done pretty darn well so far. The question is, do you think that's something that's going to carry over throughout the entire season? Defensively, they should be sound. The goaltending is as good a tandem as you're going to have in the NHL. And I think the cool thing about this is these guys genuinely, when we see the bear hug right at the end of all these games, they genuinely seem to love each other, and they like this split. I think you need that. To me, that's that was always the beauty of Marc-Andre Fleury when there was a two-goalie system. For the most part, there's been a couple of examples that weren't great, but for the most part, he's perfect in that because he's such a great teammate, right? He, he'll he win. If you put him in the spot, he's not going to be nervous. You can bring him off the bench. You can start him. It doesn't make a difference. You can have him be your second option going into a playoff series. You can have him be your only option. If you have two guys whose heads are set in such a way that they don't mind that, you're okay, but I'm with you. I'm just still waiting for a drought for this team and for the center play to be not good enough and the offense to not score enough. It hasn't happened yet. Maybe I'll wait the entire season. I'll just be wrong about it. But it still feels like I'd take three teams in the West before I'd even look at these. Yeah, and another team that was was in that conversation as well because we really thought they might take a step forward was the New Jersey Devils. And offensively, uh, they're fine. They score goals. Um, the, Jack Hughes was off to a great start before he got hurt, uh, a near record-breaking start before he got hurt. And and it's just been, you know, defensively, not very good. The goaltending has really been hit or miss. Like, what do you make of the Devils to this point? Because I feel like we are ready for them to make a step, but maybe they're just not there yet. And they're they're very good, but not in that elite tier. Yeah, yeah, I think it's funny. I think you can draw some parallels between the Devils and the Oilers. The Devils are like kind of a successful Edmonton right now where it's offensive and it's fast-paced um, and you can rely on some stars and maybe your defense isn't the strongest and you're kind of in hope mode when it comes to goaltending where it's like these guys are pretty good and, you know, if they can be pretty good and then have a moment where they're great, uh, we'll be in really excellent shape. Uh, but then it's like, oh, wait, there's an injury to one of the stars. What are we? What are we going to do now? And now there's an injury to two of the stars. Oh man, now we're in a lot of trouble. Uh, I like them. I think they play the modern game really well. There's a ton of pace. Uh, and listen, you can't take away what they did in the playoffs last year. And maybe you know, Akira Smith will be that guy. You know, going forward at some point, but it, it doesn't feel like he's there right now. Uh, I don't know. To me, they are not the type of team. And I, this is me disagreeing with a couple of guys I work with. Uh, Anthony Carter thought this is a team that could be okay without Jack Hughes for a decent amount of time and then just be great when he comes back. I don't think so. Like, I don't think you can be without a guy like Hughes on the Devils for a long period of time and still stay in the position you want to stay in. I don't think they're strong enough. I, I like the depth pieces that they've added over the years. I like Toffoli. I like Palat. 
But uh, I don't know. I, I just, to me, Jack Hughes is so integral to the way they play, which is speed and skill, that unless he's healthy, I don't see them, uh, and I mean like 100% or as close to 100% healthy as he possibly can be in playoff time. I don't know how much I would believe in that team. Yeah, he's a, definitely an integral part. One of the most exciting players in the NHL to watch for my money, that's for sure. Uh, Liam, thank you so much, as always, for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it, and uh, hope to chat to you, with you soon. You got it, buddy. Always a pleasure. There he goes. Liam McHugh, NHL on TNT. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Jeremy Rutherford from the Athletic, uh, the St. Louis Blues, to get a win last night over the Arizona Coyotes and Really, outside of Robert Thomas, mm, nobody else wants to score goals. Uh, we'll get to the bottom of that. And the goaltending situation, is Jordan Bennington really out there? Jeremy knows. We'll find out. Uh, that's all coming up on the Jeff Merrick Show. When we come back, you're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Jeff will be back on Monday. I got a note from uh, from our pal Jonathan Davis, NHL Network Radio, and the Show Me the Money Hockey Betting Podcast. For all you gamblers out there, Vegas is hosting the Sharks tonight. And in some spots, that is minus 600. Not a wager that I'd be willing to make. <laughs> Not even remotely close. Uh, do we have the guest on the line, guys? There we go. Uh, all right. Joining us on the line here to chat about the Blues. Uh, he's been covering them for a while. And uh, who better to talk to than Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. Jeremy, how are you today? Good, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Okay, so before we get into anything St. Louis, overview of the season, all that stuff, what the heck did Sammy Blay say to Liam O'Brien last night? Because <laughs> Liam O'Brien absolutely went banana sandwich, and he lost it. Um, I don't think it was because of that little bump that Sammy Blay gave him. I'm sure there was something going on, but uh, for for the radio audience and TV audience, we can't swear, of course, but do you have any idea what was said or done to to inspire that reaction? I wish I had something for you. I did not get a chance to talk to uh, Sammy afterwards, but you're right. I mean, in the press box, we were like, what was he? He must have hit him with, like, uh, some toilet paper or a pillow uh, because certainly it wasn't the hit that led to uh, O'Brien chasing him down. So, uh, yeah, mystery there, but had to have said something perhaps unless uh, O'Brien was just off his rocker last night. Oh, well, we've seen Liam O'Brien get a little off his rocker in the past, and that's okay. Uh, and Sammy Blay right. has gotten under the skin of other players before. That is that is no secret either. But uh, uh, on, to, on to the other stuff on the ice. And, you know, they grabbed the win last night, the Blues over Arizona. It takes them a game over 500. And it's kind of been an up-and-down start. Maybe not as up-and-down as last year. It was like lose three, win three, lose three, win three. But... You know, the story of last night's game was Robert Thomas scores his fifth straight in his fifth straight game. Uh, his career high is 20. Are we seeing more of a shooter here than we've seen in previous years? Because we know how great of a passer Robert Tom Robert Thomas is, but he was a guy that kind of passed first, shoot second. Are we seeing maybe a little bit of a change in his game? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, you know, he comes in that rookie year, and that's the year that he played on the third line. Uh, and they won the Stanley Cup uh, in the in the past couple years. As his role has grown, he has come into each season, Matt, and said that uh, he's going to shoot more. And he worked on it in the off season. And then you get a month, two months into the season, and you don't see it. And you kind of ask him about it. Yeah, you know, I'm working on it. But uh, he was one of the guys that working with uh, Adam Oates this past off season. And I think uh, they did some work in that area. And what Robert told me the other day was that uh, work on, on finding the spot on the ice, work on getting your body in the right position, work on getting there a second sooner so that you can put yourself in the best position possible to get those shots off. Not only is he doing that, but his shot has been terrific. A lot of these goals are coming on wrist shots from the slot. 
and he's scoring goals. So Robert Thomas, after saying for years that he would be a shooter, has become just that this season. And and outside, here's the thing: outside of Robert Thomas, the only pl- other player that has more than two goals is Brandon Saad. Uh, the next highest point total, aside from Thomas, is six, and that's shared by Kasperi Kapanen and Jordan Cairo. Uh, it, it certainly doesn't feel like a lack of talent issue with this Blues team, but why have they struggled to score goals this year? Yeah, that's the storyline so far uh, throughout the the early part of the season. Here, they put in. I don't know if this is gonna you know be an excuse, but they put in the new defensive system. Uh, they've switched to the zone. They're really packing it in. Last year, the Blues were one of the worst teams in the in the league at allowing the wide open slot shot. They wanted to fix that, so they do have layers to get through in the defensive zone. You know, just my own personal opinion, I felt like the first eight or ten games. They were focused on that, and it was affecting their offense. Uh, there wasn't a lot of transition. They've been a decent transition team with Thomas and Cairo the past couple of years. They did get into the offensive zone, but when they did, the passes were off. They weren't shooting. When they did shoot, uh, they weren't firing uh, at the net. So um, I think that it's become a situation where in the last few games, and they, they just won over New Jersey and Montreal, I think it's become a little more seamless in terms of playing that defensive system, yet getting up the ice and creating. Uh, but now they're putting the puck on net, and they're doing some more of those things. So, yeah, you look at the goal total. You look at uh, who's who's leading the way, Robert Thomas, you know, Brandon Saad. Not a lot of offerings from guys like Buchnevich, uh, but uh, it feels like things are, are trending in a little better direction here lately. Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic covers the St. Louis Blues. Joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, One of those guys and the lack of scoring is Jordan Cairo. Two goals through 12 games. And this is the first year of that big eight-year extension that he signed. Um, Is this just maybe a little bit of the contract weighing on him? Or is he kind of fallen into that category with everybody else in that, you know, they they did change the defensive structure and they are trying to do things a little bit differently, or is there something off about Jordan Cairo in his game right now? Yeah, that's a fair question for sure. You know, I almost put him in that sentence when I mentioned uh, Buchnevich. However, Cairo has had a couple big goals, and also he's had a lot of chances. He's had several breakaways, whether it be him not finishing or the goalie making a, a really good save. Uh, he could honestly have three or four more goals. Um, has he produced to the, to the level of his contract? No. Um, has he been there offensively and also improved his defensive play, which has been an issue the past couple of years? Yes. I think he's, he's done that, uh, for the most part, still a lot of room to grow with a young player like him, 25 years old. Uh, but in terms of creating offense, we're talking about a guy who had 37 goals last year and, uh, has 40 goal potentially He does. So, I think they need more from him, and in part, I think it was connected to kind of the team-wide contagious lack of offense. Uh, but I, I, I think that Jordan Cairo is going to get there. When I watch him play, I don't think it's going to be a year-long issue. And and part of the the offensive struggles, and it brings us to the conversation about the power play at a two point nine percent clip to start the season. The next worst team is eight point nine percent, and that's the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, I guess it's kind of impressive looking at their record, considering that they haven't been able to make hay on the power play. Is there something that you can kind of point to specifically? Was there a change made and there's an adjustment there as well? Um, What is it about the power play that, you know, is causing these struggles right now? Because, you know, if you score three or four more power play goals, it makes the world of a difference when you're only at 2.9%. Is there something that you can point to as to why they've struggled with this side of the game? Yeah, it's been a mystery, uh, and the reason I say that is because it's the same power play coach, uh, Steve Ott, assistant coach, has been working with this power play, and they've been number two, number seven in the league you know, within the past three or four years, so it's been a good power play. Yeah, you're missing a Tarasenko, but he didn't score a lot on the power play. Uh, yeah, you're missing a Ryan O'Reilly, but you still got good personnel with Thomas and Cairo and Braden Shen, Tori Krug, so on and so forth. It just hasn't worked, and the reason why, just watching it all year long, they're now one for 35. They've got 46 shots on net in those 35 power plays, so not a lot of shots. But there's just a lot of indecisiveness, not moving the puck quickly. Last night, Matt, they had a full two-minute five-on-three and had two shots on net, and it was as sloppy as could be. And so last night, you know, covering the Blues 19 years, 
I've never seen a game where you go 0 for 7 on the power play uh, and you win the game 2 to 1. I mean, they, this game easily could have been 3 4 uh, to 1 if they, uh, if they could convert on some of these. So it's a huge issue right now. Part of you wants to say, gosh, they're 6 5 and 1. If they could just get the power play click, click in, this could be a much, much, much better team. The problem is you just don't see an end in sight with this power play futility. Yeah, and and one part of the the success this year is has been the play of the goaltenders. And you know, you talked about tightening things up a little bit. And and Jordan Binnington didn't have a great year last year. Joel Hofer came up and and had some impressive starts. But both guys, when you look at their numbers, aside from the games played, uh, Jordan Binnington has played in basically double the games that Joel Hofer has played in. The numbers are eerily similar um which is which is very very good for this blues team because well you kind of know what you're getting um jordan bennington's name has been out there in in trade rumors over the past let's call it year and a half two years uh edmonton now specifically is the one that everybody wants to keep circling it doesn't feel like a a move that st louis is going to make as long as they're in it and they're it's early they're still in it um but how do they view the tandem of Bennington and Hofer long-term? Or do you think that if the right deal came along, they would at least consider it for Bennington because they have a lot of faith in Joel Hofer? I think you have to consider everything. Like, who knows what Edmonton and their situation would be willing to give up to get Jordan Bennington, who, by the way, is under contract for the next three years. But to me, it doesn't make sense at all from the Blues' perspective because you have a team that's pretty close uh, to the cap. I know the cap's going to be going up uh, next season, but you've got a lot of veteran guys who want to win now. They've got long-term contracts. When you talk about Shen and Falk and Krug and Pareko and you know a lot of these guys uh, that are going to be around for a couple more years if you can't find takers for those contracts. So basically, Joel Hofer looks to me like he's going to be a good goaltender, but he's not ready yet to be that 1A. And, and who are you going to put behind him in, in that tandem? You know, how do you ice this team and, and, you know, justify paying to the cap and trying to be a playoff team during this retool and then turn around and look in the net and Jordan Bennington's gone. So, you know, unless it's some sort of offer, I guess, that just knocks your socks off, I don't see how the Blues could go that direction unless Doug Armstrong, who's pulled some uh, rabbits out of his hat before, had some sort of backup plan for the Blues net along with Joel Hofer. So I see it moving forward as, as Bennington will be here. Hofer will be groomed to be his replacement uh, and we'll see what happens in the meantime. Um, coming into the season, it was, it was a very odd year last year for the Blues and they ended up trading away a, a bunch of pieces and, and got some assets. And, you know, there was going to be a little bit of a youth movement and we've seen Jake neighbors uh, play this year and, and he did play a little bit last year as well among those young players. What were the expectations coming into this season from this front office? Because Doug Armstrong does, he's not a, a guy that you expect to have losing seasons because he's had so much success in this league, but coming in, you know, they, you talked about making the changes structurally. Uh, Craig Berube still behind the bench here. It's, a, it's largely the same roster outside of a, a few guys um, what were the expectations coming into this season? And and do you think that this is a team when you look at them and say, yes, that is a playoff team and one that, you know, maybe could win around or are you not quite there yet with them? Well, uh, I'll set it up this way. Uh, we had a preseason zoom with Doug Armstrong and this was right before uh, I think camp started. And I asked Doug, is this a playoff team? And he was as honest as could be. In fact, maybe a little too honest. He said, uh, you know, I'd like to get third place in the central. That's what we're shooting for is third place in the central. And we get it, you know, Colorado and Dallas, two great teams. So if anybody, uh, if you're the blues, Minnesota, Winnipeg, Nashville, uh, you're fighting for third place essentially. Uh, so I look at them as a potential third place wild card type team. If everything goes right, if a lot of things go right, I think they could be that type of team. Here's the conundrum here in St. Louis. You know, they've had so much success with Doug Armstrong, 10 plus sustained years of success, a Stanley cup in 2019. Every year he's been able to keep this team competitive. And while they have a core that's uh, winning, they have a sub core that he's building and ready to take over. We've been seeing that for years and years. And I think, what Doug is trying to do here is, you know, people might want to call it a rebuild and 
he would like to remain competitive. I think that's why he went and took flyers on Jacob Vrana and uh, Kevin Hayes and tried to keep this team winning while he's uh, bringing in some of these draft picks and prospects over the, the next couple of years. So is this a playoff team? I think that still has to play out. They've been way too inconsistent through this part of the season. Like you said earlier, win one, lose one. Um, but when they look good, they look like they could be in that wild card conversation. So, you know, a long season to go. They're getting the goaltending, uh, but uh, they're not going to go anywhere if this offense doesn't start ticking a little more, ticking up, and also, uh, as we mentioned, the power play comes around. Um, one guy that they did try on the power play, uh, just a, a quick aside, uh, wanted to ask you about Scott Perunovic. Uh, gets into the game yeah. last night, looked like he had a much better performance after some healthy scratches. What do you think the future is for Scott Perunovic here? Is that, is that a guy that maybe they look to move? Um, or do you think that he is still part of this team going forward? There are a lot of expectations. He had, you know, some, uh, he's a very good AHL player and, you know, coming up to the NHL hasn't quite had that same success. What's your read on Scott Perunovic? Man, I like Scott. I think that uh, he can be a player in this league. He's just been so unfortunate with the three injuries slash surgeries. Uh, he's had three in his first couple of years. So he's only still 25 years old, but he's a former uh, Hobie Baker, and he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And now he is healthy, and the Blues have so much depth on defense. Uh, eight guys, they, the 8D they started with on the opening night roster, and they're still here. Uh, so Scott Pernovich has not been able to get into the lineup in part because the blues have a guy like Tory Krug, you know, another undersized guy who's a power play quarterback. That's what Scott Pernovich does. So he's been a healthy scratch and all, but I think it's three games this season, Scott Pernovich. And so yeah, last night they get him in the lineup. Uh, I thought it was a really good game for him. Now though, he's got to stay in the lineup, I think, and he's got to knock off the rust and get a chance to play. The question is, you know, will the do will the Blues do that? You know, will they commit to that situation? The one thing is that I believe his status after the season will be uh, UFA. Uh, you know, now with his contract situation. So, you know, does Scott Perinovich want to come back here? Uh, it's going to depend on what the Blues are able to do with the defense. You have Tory Krug who already uh, exercised his no trade uh, uh, clause, and then also you have guys like Nick Letty with. Another couple years left on his deal. Colton Pareko with another six or seven years left on his deal. Uh, Justin Falk with three years left. So, you know, there's so many spots spoken for on that defense. I just wonder how they can fit Scott Prinovich into it. Yeah, definitely going to be a, a situation to monitor. Jeremy, thanks as always for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it and uh, hope to chat with you soon. Yeah, anytime. Thanks a lot. There he goes. Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. Now time for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. And we're looking ahead to Hockey Night in Canada. And what better matchup than the Vancouver Canucks and the Toronto Maple Leafs? The Maple Leafs are favored on the puck line by minus one and a half. The home team is 25 and three in the last 28 meetings. The under is 19, seven and one in the last 27 meetings. Vancouver is a certifiable wagon. Right now, they are firing on all cylinders. The offense is going to be a tough one to stop for the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are going to be making uh, a change on defense. Jake McCabe is in. John Klingberg is out. Uh, and then we'll see kind of what else uh, they're looking at. That's tonight. So I'm assuming that carries into tomorrow. Um, how does how does the how do the Leafs manage this Vancouver offense, which is one of the highest scoring teams in the league? And they look incredible for Toronto. Austin Matthews is up to 13 goals in 13 games. Uh, no surprise that he could put the puck in the net. Uh, but he really, really lights up the Vancouver Canucks. 18 goals in 21 career games against those Vancouver Canucks. And boy, oh boy, this is going to be a big one at Scotiabank Arena tomorrow night on Hockey Night in Canada. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet local all right we're about to take a break but when we come back elliot friedman not in his regular spot will join us at the top of the next hour the next block uh he was at the calgary skate and we do have some news coming out of calgary with the flames and their goaltending situation will will bring you up to speed on that and then uh in the next block we're also going to hear uh jay woodcroft and leon dreisaitl's comments after last night's game um very telling of how everyone is feeling in the Edmonton locker room. 
all that and David Sis will do the weekly review that's coming up. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network watching on Sportsnet 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Final block of the week for the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. He will be back on Monday. Lots to get to here. How about those Oilers? Not a great one last night. As we know, falling 3-2 to the San Jose Sharks. A lot of people on edge in Edmonton, but uh, apparently the head coach, not so worried about his job. Here's uh, here's Oilers head coach Jay Woodcroft after last night's game. This is a lousy question, but I gotta ask it. You're you got a Stanley Cup contender that's in 32nd place here. Mm-hmm. Are you worried about your job? No, I worry about taking care of my daily business and my daily process and making sure that I give my players something to focus on and concentrate on. No one's happy with where we're at. We all own it. Uh, we can be better, and that's where my focus is. I don't think Jay Woodcroft should be worried about his job. Again, I don't think that Jay Woodcroft became a bad coach overnight. His winning percentage is like 683 going into this year. The team was really good after they brought in Jay Woodcroft and and got rid of Dave Tippett. And that and that was, you know, that was the magic elixir was bringing in Jay Woodcroft and so I, I don't dis, I mean, I'm not in Jay Woodcroft's shoes uh, at this point in time. I probably wouldn't want to be, although I'd, I'd like that NHL coaching salary. That'd be pretty nice. But this, I feel like the pressure is, is on Ken Holland here to make a move before he fires the coach. Now he can fire the coach without making a move. That's going to be entirely his decision. I just don't see that as being the case. Like not, it's, it's ultimately the same roster as they returned from last year one that lost to the eventual Stanley Cup champions in the playoffs. And the previous year, lost to the eventual Stanley Cup champions. And the goaltending's been the same. Like, nothing's been different. So, something's going on there. Something's gone on in the water. And Connor McDavid is banged up. We know that. Uh, Matias Ekholm is banged up. Is it a matter of those guys getting healthy to turn the fortunes around? It's probably not that simple but something that we are definitely going to monitor. Um, one of the guys that we expect a lot from, especially offensively, is uh, Leon Dreisaitl. And Leon Dreisaitl, we have, been, we have seen in the past with the media, has uh, been very ornery. Um, he wasn't super happy last night either. Here's Leon Dreisaitl uh, postgame last night. You know, it's a tough league. Um, guys play your heart. Um, obviously... Not, not too many guys in this room that, that have confidence right now. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of that group. So, um, yeah, just keep keep trying to get better every day. And um, yeah. Is that just it where it's like it doesn't feel like anyone's going right now? Have you ever experienced something like this where, you know, some, some guys slump, obviously, but it just feels like no one's going right now? Yeah, great, great observation. That's... <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Tips. Excellent observation, Sherlock. Keep digging, Watson. Um, yeah, it's not... Everybody's on edge there. And, I mean, when you are a team that basically scores at will, like the Edmonton Oilers have since Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid have been at the peak of their powers, to see this, where you're firing 41 shots at Mackenzie Blackwood... And, and you also have uh, 35 shots blocked. I don't know what else the Oilers could have done last night. It's not like you can blame the goaltending. It, it, was, it, was, it was, and the, they've had plenty of them through 12 games. It was just one of those nights. And it just happened to be against the worst team in the NHL who you are now tied with. Um, so you are one of the worst teams in the NHL. Uh, only way they can go is up, apparently. Uh, wanted to get to this clip. 
before the end of the show as well. This is Adam Fantilli, uh, Blue Jackets forward, following. Uh, he was asked about the unsportsmanlike penalty that he got. Um, here's his explanation of what went on. Did you get an explanation on your unsportsmanlike conduct call? Not really. I mean, um, I, I said it didn't hit me in the face. Like I, I played with a cage for a year, and, and stick came up. It came right past my face. You yeah. feel the wind, and I, like, it shocks you for a second. I mean, some people don't know how fast it really happens. So, I mean, I mean, it just went right past my face. I reacted quick, yeah. and he called it. I tried to be honest. Didn't want to be that type of guy. Look like I was, or looked like I was trying to sell calls or anything like that. And ref just hated it, I guess, and yeah. just wanted to throw me in the box. So, nothing you can do. By the way, shout out Nobleton, Ontario. Adam Fantilli's hometown, which is also where I grew up. So great people come out of there. Just knock me down a peg or two on that list. Uh, I didn't like, I didn't, I don't love it. Like I'm, I don't generally speaking come to the aid of, of officials. Um, partially because my brother's one, but joking aside, I just, I hated that. And, and this is, you know, there are certain guys that have good relationships with referees. There are certain guys that don't have good relationships with referees. Some that do embellish and some that really try to make a point of not doing that. And that's exactly what Adam Fantilli was trying to do last night. And to get an unsportsmanlike penalty for that, I tried to read lips. I'm generally speaking pretty good at it. Didn't look like he said anything bad. I think he legitimately said it didn't hit me in the face. That's it. So if that is showing up an official, man, I should have been banned from hockey a long time ago. Probably banned from talking about it. It was so bad. I just don't like that from officials when you try and show up a player. I don't like when players show up officials either um, by embellishing. But in this instance, I don't see how that is worthy of an unsportsmanlike penalty. But we'll see what happens going forward and 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 how the refereeing fraternity treats Adam Fantilli after that because maybe it's just a one-off maybe somebody was having a bad day it does happen but we will find out um somebody's wandered into the studio here um David Sis producer of this fine program um is this your first appearance on TV it actually yeah this is the first one on TV wow the maiden voyage for David Sis on TV ladies and gentlemen well, thank you. Thank you for that. So what do you got on your on your mind here? Uh, it's been a really interesting week. The Oilers stink. Um, Vancouver's a wagon. What kind of stands out to you right now as the big storylines? Well, I think we got to start with, is it safe to say we should stop asking dry saddle questions after games at this point, especially after losses when uh, he's never really in a good mood? No, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, he has a sense of humor. Like, that's the best part about mm. this is that we've seen the kind of lighter side of Leon Dreisaitl. Um, but his reactions to questions like that, listen, as a member of the media, like I'm not asking the question, so I'm fine with the answer, um, because it's not me that he's getting upset with, but I mean, you kind of have to ask the question right now, like what is going on in that room? And, you know, have you ever seen, you know, cause it does feel like basically everybody is not going right now. They're not getting great goaltending. Although last night, not the issue. Connor McDavid's not going. Leon Dreisaitl's not going. Ryan Nugent Hopkins isn't going. Zach Hyman, like nobody is going right now. But yes, I think we need to, I think we do need to stop asking Leon Dreisaitl how he feels after a loss, especially one where you lose to the worst team in the NHL. So yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's not ask Leon those questions. And I, I, before we move on from the Oilers, because they really have been the only team to really focus on this week, I feel like it's every day something new with them, but We've talked a lot about Jay Woodcroft and if mm-hmm. his job is in jeopardy, and I think we both agree that it shouldn't be. He, mm-hmm. There's not much he can Doesn't do. Doesn't mean it isn't, but it shouldn't be. Exactly. Yeah. But do you think that getting rid of him and maybe bringing in a new voice could be what the team needs to kind of bounce back? I don't know. I, I really struggle with that because what what is the bounce back here? Like, are they going to be, are they going to get two more wins than they would have? Like, okay, maybe two wins at this point of the season is probably good. They only, have, good. Two. They only oh. have two. So, I mean, you'd be doubling your win total. I just keep going back to the fact that I do not think that Jay Woodcroft has lost this room, and I don't believe that Jay Woodcroft became a bad coach. There's a reason why he had success with this team. There's a reason why he has gone to a a conference final and a conference semifinal with this group with no goaltending, I might add, and a defense that, frankly, isn't good enough to win. So I, 
I, I don't see how Jay Woodcroft should lose his job over this. The problem becomes, and this is the case for a lot of teams when they are looking at making a change, it's always easier to change the coach than it is the players, especially now for the Oilers and the rest of the league because everybody's in cap hell right now. Mm-hmm. That's no secret. And the Oilers are very much in that category also. But to fire the coach right now, like it still is it still is very early. I know there's the I know there's the 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 American Thanksgiving date that everybody kind of, you know, circles on their calendar uh for multiple reasons. One because the Americans do Thanksgiving right. Um the other thing would be that's kind of the bar that we set for if you're going to make the playoffs or not. Here's the one thing that I will say about the Edmonton Oilers. If they are not within if there was ever a team that I believe could get into the playoffs and kind of you know, buck that trend of if you're not within four points by American Thanksgiving, generally speaking, you don't make it. If there was a team that I thought could do it, it would be the Edmonton Oilers. Why? Because they have two of the best players on the planet on their team. And when they are going, they are unstoppable and they can carry teams. They can outscore your goaltending problems or your defensive problems. So that's why I feel like the Oilers are looking at this and saying, okay, let's take a deep breath here. I know things aren't going very well. All these guys are gripping the stick a little too tight. I understand all that. But if there was a team that could do it and buck that trend for me, it would be the Oilers. So I don't think that bringing in a new voice changes that concept. I think the team remains the same. Again, this this team played the Vegas Golden Knights who won the Stanley Cup very tough. And the year previous, they played the Colorado Avalanche really tough in the playoffs. And both of those teams went on to win the Stanley Cup. Does that mean anything? I think I think it has to stand for something. They again, they lost to the eventual Stanley Cup champions. They were close. Lots of people had them as con- cup contenders. I don't see how firing the coach changes anything. Fair enough. Uh, but also, when we're talking about the goaltending, because that's really been the biggest issue in Edmonton, mm-hmm. and right now it seems like they can really use that third goalie, that third NHL caliber goalie, and. We've seen a couple teams this year, notably the Habs just had Caden Primo yesterday in his second game of the year get a win. That's a team that has three goalies, the Sabres, a three-goalie system. What do you think on these teams? And now we might even see it with Calgary. They have Dustin Wolf coming up now. Mm-hmm. He was just called up, and I know Markstrom's listed his day-to-day, but what do you think on that three-goalie system? Is that something we should see more teams continue to do? I don't like it because you're the guys aren't getting the same – forget – game reps they're not even getting the same practice reps when you excuse me when you have the third guy there Mm -hmm. so I don't think this is something that teams do because they want to I think it's because they have to and have to meaning they don't want to be giving guys up for free in a world where there are teams like the Edmonton Oilers that are struggling in net where you can trade a guy and you know it brings in a, a better asset than maybe you would have originally gotten for that guy. It all depends on how desperate teams get. So I don't think anybody wants to. And when we had Kevin Adams on this program uh, at the beginning of, of the season, and I asked him about, you know, if you like, if is it ideal to have three goalies? And the answer was basically, no, it's not. But if you have, here's the thing. If you have three NHL caliber goalies, you are in a better position than a lot of teams because a lot of teams have won. Like if we're if we're talking about the Colorado Avalanche, for example, you know, Gorgiev is an NHL caliber goalie. Prosvitov, maybe the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's not great, you know. Maybe the Chicago Blackhawks are in that conversation too. Like, so I feel like if you have three, you're better off than a lot of teams are. The problem is, is that can you deal those? for assets right now. And it's just, we had this conversation last year around the trade deadline. Like everything was tight. Now last year at the trade deadline was insane, but it took until the trade deadline for anything of significance to happen for some teams like the Oilers, that window to get to the trade deadline doesn't really exist because you have to start winning now, or at least in the next week or two. So that's why, teams have them it's not what they want it's what they need to do and it's there there are only so many good goalies we're finding and the thing is now is a lot of goalies are the same how many elite goaltenders do we have in the league anymore it's not a long list and and certainly you need it because 
guys go into ruts and they struggle. Um, you have injuries. So, yes, absolutely. The idea of having three NHL caliber goalies is fine in in theory, but in practice, it's really, really difficult to get the most out of your goalies when there's three of them at practice and they're not getting game reps and all that stuff. So I don't think anybody loves it, but they have to. It's almost like that's why the Flames are in the perfect scenario right now because they've had two NHL goalies and then they have Dustin Wolf in the minors who's just dominating. He's ready for the NHL, obviously. And they've waited. They've had a guy that can play AHL minutes, get all the reps he need at that high level. And then now he's ready to take that next step. So now it's, you have three goalies. Now it's time to probably make a move. I, I don't think you could roll. You can keep having Dustin Wolf in the minors. He's too good. And that, and that's, and that's what I was getting. I'm glad you brought that up because Dustin Wolf has been the best goaltender in the AHL for the last two years. Mm-hmm. He's been goaltender of the year. He won the award. Um, but this is, here's the thing too. You never want to see a goalie. You never want to see anybody get hurt, but if it's something that's minor for Markstrom and they can afford to have him sit for a couple of games, it also allows you without taking away reps from Jacob Markstrom to see what Dustin Wolf does at the NHL level. Like that's another thing that we're, we're not really talking about here is that it, it sounds like Dustin Wolf is going to get the start tomorrow night. And so with that being said, you're going to see what he is. Can you make, can you make all these bold predictions and assessments after one NHL start? No. If he looks bad, everybody's going to go, well, it's his first game, whatever. If he looks great, we're going to be talking about him as if he's the next coming of Patrick Waugh. But I do think that it, it, it is a, a kind of, I don't want to say the perfect situation, but it's a good situation to bring him up, comes in on the road trip. He doesn't have to necessarily start at home for his first start because there is pressure that goes along with that, especially because of how they talk about him in that market. I'm fine with, I'm fine with that. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's a good opportunity for him. You have something uh, quick with like 20 seconds that we can get to before well, the was, end of the show. I was just going to ask here before we go, if you know, we uh, spoke to Elliot before and he did mention that the Oilers are trying to kick the tires on a goalie. Who do you think it would be if they do make that move? Oh boy. I don't think it's Jordan Bennington. Um, I think that money's too much. Oh boy. I wonder if they make a call to Detroit for James Reimer. That would be a guy that I would be very curious to see. Not one if of that's yet. yeah, if that's one that they would maybe make a call on just as a stopgap for now. Um okay, great job. Great job on your first TV appearance. Well, very well done. It. Make sure your parents took a picture. I'm um, sure they did. I'm sure they did. <laughs> That's going to do it for us on the Jeff Merrick Show for the week. Thanks to everybody that listened. Thanks to everybody that joined us on the program this week. Thanks to everybody behind the glass. Thank you to David over here. Uh, Matt Marchese signing off for the Jeff Merrick Show. Jeff will be back on Monday. Have a great weekend.